0: Buzz. From the Afterbuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Maria Menunos and Bing.com and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Afterbuzz TV's Scandal. After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. If you'd like to buzz in on tonight's show, you can buzz us at 424. Two five six seventeen twenty nine. that's 424 and now, another post game wrap up show for your favorite TV show. It's After Buzz TV Scandal. After
3: show. What is up, gladiators? We are here for another exciting After Buzz TV Scandal after show. This is a very special one. It's the Scandal anniversary. Um, This time last year is the first episode of Scandal, and it's been a great, great, great two seasons so far. Um, This is actually season two, episode 18, and I want Bam, to say the title. It
4: comes from one of my favorite movies of all time, Ghosts, when Whippy Goldberg looks at Patrick Swayze and says, Molly, you in danger, girl.
3: (laughs) You're so silly. (laughs) So, as always, Bing is for doing, and I'm your host, Emil Ennis Jr., and I'm joined here with three amazing co hosts and a very special guest.
5: Hey, what's
1: up, everybody? I'm Cornelia. Hey, I'm Sophia Stanley.
3: And I'm Bam Erickson. And we're joined here with the amazing. Hi, you
2: guys. It's Jeff Perry. Cyrus.
3: So, so excited. And in honor of uh, Jeff Perry being here, our scandal pace for today, we're each going to say our top moment um, from scandal (laughs) with Cyrus in there. And mine is from season one where Cyrus found out that Amanda Tanner was pregnant and he runs into uh, the president's office and basically lays out how his life will be once the public finds out. And it was an excellent, excellent monologue. And that's when I knew you were one of my favorite characters. Uh.
5: Mine was when uh, Cyrus cussed out Sally Langston in the Oval Office (laughs) after she landed on the lawn and took charge without even asking if she could do so at the time. That was my favorite moment. I love that. Um,
1: My favorite is actually the same as Emil, but for the sake of not uh, piggybacking, my favorite is the first time that you see Olivia and Cyrus go head to head when it's basically right before he declares war. And my favorite line when I knew he really was a pit bull, a monster, just all that was when he said, may God have mercy on your soul. I was like, oh, he's my number one villain from here (laughs) until eternity.
4: Mine was the conversation that Cyrus had with James in the bedroom when they were naked. That was such a powerful scene to me because that was a a moment where he finally started to reveal and be a little bit honest with James. And they were naked. You guys were standing there naked the whole entire time. And not once were you ever thinking, oh, my God, they're naked because you were so engrossed with the conversation and what was going on because it was so deep. Mm.
2: Oh, I love all those. I love all those. Well, to pick one is impossible. So I'll pick another one. But uh, Fitz has left, uh, and he, he and Melly is talking to James, and I'm very nervous about Melly alone in the White House with with the cat gone, right? <laughs> and uh, and I said, Melly, do you do not? All roads lead to Fitz. You do not talk to Fitz. You, I mean you do not talk to journalists when Fitz is gone, and, uh, and I'm lecturing her, and she says, "I don't know what you're saying." And I say, "Well, yeah, I know, no, you do know what I'm saying because you are a terrifying political animal who would chew her own foot off if it meant she would get ahead, a trait I respect. and I go on and she's, and before defiance has come out before live." feels that Fitz has guessed about it months and months before in story time uh, you know she says and, and another thing that Hollis is a despicable human being and I'm not going to deal with him and, and if defiance ever comes up and, um, and I kind of lay her out Shonda, <laughs> Shonda gives me lines that just lay me- Melly out you may be a terrifying political animal but I am a monster
4: I love that one. That was it. That was <laughs> that, <laughs> that was a good one.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so gladiators, that was your Scandal Pace, and in honor of the Scandal. And-
1: hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings
5: are waiting. To your happy place For a happy price Go to your happy price price Priceline
3: Anniversary, every single one of our topics today is going to be a relationship So we're going to start with Quinn and Huck Then we're going to go into Cyrus and James Melly and Fitz And finally, Olivia and Jake Can't wait to dive into that one Um, So let's start with the Quinn and Huck situation We find out that Osborne is not the mole And Huck and Quinn go on this journey To figure out basically... Who the mole is, who's behind this what's what's really going on because they were all played so once again we have Quinn still in the learning stages still following Huck around and he's still putting her through the the test trying to see what she can figure out and see if she can play this game and do things like he can and like I said I still think it's cool that Quinn is doing this but I think we really got to see a different side of Quinn this time because once Huck was out of the picture when he got put into the crate when he went to the storage unit we really got to see how Quinn will be able to handle. Uh, a situation without Huck's assistance and see how she would deal with the other gladiators who don't want to help her because they think that Huck's fine. So do you guys think that... First of all, I want to know, once we found out... I'm just going to jump a little bit. Once we found out that Charlie did it, what are you thinking is the whole reasoning behind this? Because I'm, I'm thoroughly confused as far as how Charlie's involved.
1: Well, if you think about it, Charlie's been involved since the very beginning, mm-hmm. right? And not only has Charlie been involved from the very beginning, and I'm going to really actually take it back, because I always forget the name of the group, but the name of the special spy group that they were in, right, yeah. is so clandestine, right? So you have, you have that, right? Then that also obviously is connected to Intel, right, which is connected to Thorngate, which, remember, Cyrus was aware of. Because right? Cyrus was aware of, because that's why like, he knew the president was calling Olivia, so forth and so on, right. right? So it's almost as if you have two teams, right? So Team Cyrus, which is then Team Charlie, and then you have Olivia, which is Team Huck. The minute Charlie and Huck went head-to-head, which, think about it, has been playing itself over, like, out over and over and over again... There's, there's something that we're not aware of. Like, there's, there's some wrong that was committed that it all ties back. But really, Charlie is, is, is Cyrus. So that's the best way to think about it. Like, it's still personal to do with Huck, but it's really Cyrus. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's the pit bull, pit bull, pit bull. We've always been like, you know, if you let someone off their, off their leash and we thought that was Cyrus. But we always knew that Cyrus is controlling everything.
4: I think we're I think you're onto something, Sophia, because I'm looking at Jeff's reactions <laughs> and he's looking like, Okay, good job, good job. You wanna chime in? Uh it we call
2: these writers professional surprisers mm-hmm. because they will take you with confidence down one oh, path. Dang it. And then they'd be pulling something <laughs> else. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh so Um, people have been wondering, is Cyrus the mole? Is Melly the mole? Um, what the heck? And honestly, we don't know. Because sometimes, you guys, we are merely three to five days ahead of the world with story. For instance, I found out my character was gay about three days before I shot it. And, uh, so, so, yeah, we do, we don't know. Shonda knows, probably, <laughs> but she's not telling.
4: Okay, but I have yeah. to ask this question. So if you don't know, mm-hmm. it's been rumored that you guys have already shot the season finale. So, if you, No, you, that's not true. No? Okay, no, great. We're,
2: we're shooting uh, a, a episode 20 out of 22 right now. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. All
5: right. Well, I think, well, let's back it up. The fact that someone could take Huck to that level, because think about it, Huck was waterboarded, and David said this. He said when Huck was waterboarded, he wasn't like this. Charlie is technically the only person that knows Huck's weakness. They knew what his name was, Spencer. They knew everything about him. So my question is, what did Charlie do to get Huck to that level? Because Huck, you know what I mean. Like it, in an water, hour, yeah, yeah. Waterboarding is serious. But when when Quinn opened that crate, you would have thought that Huck saw like his like his like his dead mother or something. You know, it was it was so creepy. That's what I was a little drawn to. What took him to that level? We won't know until later, hopefully. But that was serious.
3: Well, I think that uh, because if if we're thinking about realistically, there was only 20 minutes. He was there for 20 minutes, right? But he he went in there of nothing. The room was empty and it was just a crate. So that's why I'm confused what he could have done, too.
1: I'm I'm not confused. I think I watch way too many like spy conspiracy theories. It's obviously twofold because obviously he had like some kind of a gash on his head. Mm -hmm. And to me, especially in their world, psychological torture is on a completely different level. And if I'm remembering correctly, even when, you know, season one, when they were at the diner, Charlie trained Huck. Right. right. So regardless of when Huck may have actually tortured him and basically that's when he, you know, broke his sobriety. Charlie technically is the master, number one. Number two, way back from season one, right, when Charlie basically got bested by the student, he's been planning this entire time, let alone we've always been waiting for something to happen after Spies Like Us. You can't have Spies Like Us when they're in a room together and basically Charlie says, like... Like, what's up? That There's going to be no repercussions. So to me, it's obviously something psychological. I'm, again, going to go out on a limb. I think it's something to do with Huck's past and Huck's family. It's not a coincidence that last episode we had, again, him looking for a new family, him being so connected to Quinn in terms of her not being able to have a family. He gives her a family. It's something to do with family. The question really is is whether or not his family is his past family or Olivia Pope and Associates. Because arguably, it could be Olivia Pope and Associates seeing what we then saw later in the episode, that somebody is after Olivia. Those are just my two angles. I know I'm not answering. I'm making more, but those are my...
3: Well, it helps put something in my mind. So, obviously, we won't find out for another three weeks. Hopefully, we'll see in that episode. But before we go into the next topic, guys, iTunes. iTunes. Actually, you know what? Sorry,
1: I'm going to cut you off on purpose. I apologize. I just have to say, though, we have to give it up to Quinn... Because I think Quinn stepped it up in a way that she She hasn't in a while. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and we talked about this before, I think regardless of the nature of their relationship, they have gotten closer, and that has definitely made her a better gladiator.
4: And she's clearly not
3: a chicken head anymore. Well, she was never a chicken head. She was, but... She has some (sighs) some mistakes, but But she was never a chicken head. But
4: one of the things that I want to give props to Quinn is how she used... She was very smart and very, um, very strategic, and she didn't give up this time. Like how she played Zeke, uh, she she was watching, she paid attention, she knew that, that Zeke had brought in some skanks or some scallywags, and she brought it to his attention, and that's how she was able to get the video. So she was very smart this episode.
3: And I'm happy she did that, like I said, without Huck, because even when they went into the... Uh the morgue and they were looking at the body and she was trying to figure it out Huck still had to give her a clue saying everything's perfect something has to be wrong and then Mm -hmm. she had the light bulb off in her head Mm -hmm. so it's nice to see her figure things out on her own
5: you know real quick the student always has to take the role of the of the of the leader sometimes Mm -hmm. and that's what happens with Huck down Quinn is now the point person maybe for Huck's type of work because Huck he was in the corner he's not he's not coming out of the corner yeah so Quinn is now she has to take over this is Mm -hmm. her role now
3: well guys, we want to know what you think. Make sure you go to iTunes. Um when you get to iTunes, search for After Buzz TV. Look for the Scandal After Show podcast. What we want you to do is like, comment, rate, subscribe and share. Yes. yes. Share with your family and friends and anybody who you know who is a true gladiator and, um, even new fans. We want you guys to tell them about the Scandal After Show podcast. Let them know that Jeff Perry's here with us. Join us for this conversation. And we're, we're going to really appreciate when you do that. And, um, also on YouTube, we can't forget our YouTube fans every single week. We put these videos up on YouTube for those who like to watch us as well. And just the overwhelming number of comments and likes that we get and views. We just really appreciate that. And for Twitter guys, we do interact on Twitter and respond and we just, everywhere on across all boards all social media we just appreciate all the support that you guys give us so keep sharing keep supporting and um, yeah we thank you so much so now we want to talk about James and Cyrus um, because this was the first time that we saw the dynamic between James and Cyrus since the I call it the bear all scene um, and I didn't know that it was still so hostile between them I mean obviously it didn't end that well before but th- it was to the point, or it is to the point where Cyrus is out of the house, staying in the hotel, and he's been there for 22 days. And I just didn't realize it got to that point. Um, I give props to James because
4: James, um, as you always said, um, when mom ain't happy, nobody nobody's sad. happy. <laughs> and. James needed to step up and put Cyrus's ass out of the house and take a stand, although Cyrus did play him at the end he got the best he you know he got the last word but i i give I give James's character uh kudos for being able to stand up and put him out the house to to get some resolution between the two
5: but he didn't really get resolution though well he
4: thought he was but see he all, James always forgets that he can't he goes. He, he he can't he can't get the best of Cyrus, and he and he needs to learn that. But he, you know, I give him points for trying.
5: I I liked how Cyrus had to pull out of James what the real problem was because you you see James was mad and and he put Cyrus out, but it wasn't until they sat down on those two chairs when Cyrus pointed out you're not mad at the situation,
0: mm-hmm. you're
5: mad at that you were taken to the situation and that you reacted the way you did and made the decision that you made. But I like, I like just that. Just side
3: note, you have some of the best one-liners in the whole show. Mm. Oh, yeah,
2: Shonda gives me
3: gorgeous things. Like, gorgeous just little things. quotes. Like, uh, first season, when he said, um, uh, every, every man isn't meant to be happy. They're meant to be great. some, some, mm-hmm. some to that effect. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: not all men are meant to be happy. Yeah. Some are meant mm-hmm. to be great.
4: Yeah. My problem with, my problem with, with your character mm. and the response to James yeah. is, James, you are the cause of why James feels this way. And I felt like I felt that your response to him was your way to make him feel like he should be responsible when you are really responsible because this wouldn't happen if 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 you if you weren't a part of this, yeah. Like...
2: But look at what Chandra look at what Chandra was doing, and look at what Chandra and the writers were doing in in this, with with uh, uh, James making a beautiful, completely understandable argument mm-hmm. for I'd never wanted to be put in this situation. You forced me to do this. Um, with Fitz make, uh, uh making a kind of beautiful and and Fitz even saying this isn't an accusation, this is a question. It's gotten so easy to lie. How does that make you feel? Um, And how about how we actually got together versus the bullshit you know what Mm -hmm. that we said in front of the TV. Um, And then Melly saying all married couples do this. This is something that's fundamental about marriage. David and Abby Uh, um, David saying how can you like me how can you love me but not tell me the truth about things that have affected me I can't love someone I don't trust so Chandra and the writers had this beautiful theme reverberating and mirroring throughout the episode of the utter subjectivity of what is true and what is false. And you have to own your part of every situation. You know, that's where, yes, Cyrus is always strategic. It's like he's hi- hardwired to be so. But at the same time, it was James, you chose love. You chose me. You chose your own happiness. And then that's sincere. And what you hate about that is that you're realizing you're the kind of person who could choose those things over justice and to me there was a little bit of i'm older than you james and i was there and i'm not judging you i'm actually empathizing it feels shitty i know it does (laughs) You know, I know it does, but I was—I've been there. And you gotta own it, I guess. You know, because part of Cyrus wishes, as so many, so many aspects of the show, part of him wishes that James never knew that that James's innocence, Fitz's innocence about defiance, uh, uh, was never corrupted, never. Tainted. You know, I say to Olivia in the hallway a few episodes back, um, Fitz walks on water. Fitz is the one with the fishes and the loaves. And we march behind him, we sing his happy tune, and we take our hatchets and we chop up the Judases into little pieces. We do that. Why? Because Fitz can't. If he could, we wouldn't worship at his altar. Mm. And so there's a way of saying, you know, hey, man, somebody's got to do it. It's how I'm wired. But I'll do it for somebody I believe in. You know? That's that weird alchemy of, <sighs> what? Mercenary mates idealism.
5: Yeah. Now, going back to what you just said, you said, you know, before you had the monologue where you talked about Fitz walks on water. Mm in this episode Fitz told him about Verna. Do you think Cyrus op- Cyrus's opinion of Fitz will change now that he knows that he's capable of killing somebody cuz technically you don't walk on water when you you know you're a murderer now. Things are different. So do you think Cyrus will treat him accordingly or will he will he still hold Fitz in that light?
2: I mean, I love this about the evolution. It's like and, it's, and it's, what I think is, is quite beautiful about the writing and, and, and organically true is that they keep changing they kind of go from innocence to more knowledge and sometimes the knowledge really hurts uh, I, no, I think uh, um I think it's la almost. You know, there was a big brother. There was sometimes a father-son relationship with Fitz, and sometimes you know it feels like I'm servant and he's master, and sometimes I'm father and he's son. And uh, no, I think uh, no, I, I no, I think I love him. I think I love him. I think I. I think he's still the real deal and i kind of hold on you guys just you know as an actor and as trying to empathize with cyrus that uh uh, i would not do this for someone i didn't believe in
1: yeah kind of just quickly picking back off the last statement that you said do you think that your character is misunderstood and that despite the fact that you may be a monster or a pit bull? That, in some senses, you really are a gladiator in a suit, if, in fact, Fitz wears the figurative white hat
0: mm.
2: oh yeah, yeah, um, I don't think Cyrus spends too much time worrying about what <laughs> people think or if he's misunderstood um uh but uh but i uh, uh, i uh de- I definitely think he is a soldier for a cause. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm just going to piggyback off of the, the, the last couple comments and, and make a slight prediction. I actually, especially in reference to what Jeff just said in the lines that he recited that Fitz and Cyrus are going to be closer than ever. Specifically the beginning of, of, of this scene starts with Fitz knowing that he's at a hotel Obviously, the way that Cyrus says, "Mr. President," like he's basically saying, like that's not the normal scope of our relationship, right? Cyrus has been out for a while. He even, you know, even when he's talking to Olivia, was like, you know, I just he made like a boat reference, and he's like, I'm not ready to get get rocked off the boat. You know what I mean? And then the fact of all people, since Defiance, Fitz has been struggling with who is he? What is he capable of? He had thought prior, right, that he could basically. Take off all of the facade with Olivia and be his true self, right? That then he hit a wall. Olivia isn't who she said she is, right? Again, I've always said that the two people who are on some levels the most honest are Melly and Cyrus. He tried with Melly, that didn't work. He's kind of realizing the most honest person in his camp is Cyrus. Right, And he, especially if you go back to last episode, that little confrontation regarding, I think it's whatever, Remington, Operation Remington, that basically was Cyrus saying, whatever you've done, right? Cyrus may not know at that moment what in fact the totality of that is, but we know that if he's saying you did things that you had to do in honor for your country, your duty, so forth and so on, arguably in the grand scheme of defiance... That includes killing Verna. Yeah. I think that him now knowing that Fitz is capable of doing that in, in pursuit of honor, as well as it takes a little bit of that naivete that I think Cyrus always flicks at Fitz. Like, he always thinks he's a little bit too immature. And by that one action, in pursuit of justice, and I'm going to go on a way limb there, on a way, it's like, it's what you do things in war. Murder for murder is just murder, right? Right. If you kill someone with no cause, it's murder. But if you kill someone for a larger cause or in an act of war, that's theoretically not war. I mean murder. Do you see where I'm going with that? So, is killing Verna murder? I don't know. I think it's going to make them
5: closer. I think it'll make them closer, too. I
1: think right. it'll make...
4: I think it, Kanila. I think it also make them closer because there was something that Fitz said to Cyrus that was kind of touching. He says, "Don't give up if you love him." We've never, as Sophia said, the president and Cyrus have never had any kind of conversation about relation ships. He says that you know, he's basically saying I'm the president and I keep on here to the streets. I know what's going on. I know <laughs> that you have not been at home for 22 days. I know I'm the president. I I know I know everything. And then he goes into this whole relationship thing. So, that was really that was really a beautiful moment to see the president of the United States having this conversation with like his main man.
5: And and honestly, and honestly, Fitz really can't have the conversation with anybody because Cyrus is the only one who doesn't judge him. Yeah. Whenever whatever happens with Melly, Melly judges him. She holds everything against him. Olivia is mad. She's Olivia is hurt about the relationship that Fitz supposedly has with Melly. He holds she holds that against their relationship. Everybody has a problem with Fitz. It seems like except Cyrus, because Cyrus knows about Olivia he's like like, he's like okay whatever it's not my business he said his piece first first season now he's like whatever so what who cares yeah he's like so what who cares he knows about his relationship with melly he's like i really don't care i don't have time for this like cyrus is the only person who lets just Mm -hmm. lets fits be fits and he's just like as long as you're doing your job i could care less
3: my question is as far as the relationship with james and cyrus goes um I remember... I still remember the day we found out that Cyrus was gay. We were shocked. And I remember... I think Bam was like, wait, I missed that. I was like, I missed it. He's gay? What I love about the characters, though, in this particular show is that even though they're gay, it doesn't define them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's been previous shows where, in the past, where we still were dealing with the homosexuality, where it's become so much a part of the character that it's part of them to the point where it's always in your face. Mm -hmm. And with this character... We know that Cyrus is gay. We know that James is gay. But it's not something that is in our face or that we feel like we have to address all the times in our minds. It's just, it's not. Does you that almost make sense? forget. Yeah. You, you
5: almost know, it's, it's forget. It's not
3: important. It, it's important in certain situations, but it's not important to the point where we feel like we need to constantly defend it or constantly. I just like how Shauna has addressed it and then how she puts in. Current topics we have the gay marriage, we have gay adoption, and then not just gay adoption, gay adoption is a black baby, like just little things like yeah. that. How do you feel about playing such an important character like that
2: it's it 's great it 's a blessing I mean, trying to write such i think just such truthful dichotomy and complication in in these people and like like I was saying before, you know a mix of Idealism and situational ethics and strategy and love and passion and jadedness. You know, it's at certain moments, and you just feel like, "Wow, man, this is this is this is gorgeous." Because a fair amount of popular TV writing kind of goes for the easy, one-dimensional. Um, here, this is this person in this box and this is the person in this box. So you can all feel comfortable about what they're gonna do every time and that's who they are. And Shonda keeps letting these people breathe and have complication and have contradiction. Just for actors, man, it's great. Like the naked scene. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote to her, I said, Shonda, you you gave me you know, she she was just saying, Jeff, I loved how that scene went and I said Oh my God, Shonda, you, 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 you gave me this character that I've been able to live with who, is, who loves work that requires absolute compartmentalizing of the truth, um, which politics does and media does and optics do, you know, and, and, and requires also a lot of repression. Of here's what's public here's what's private here's what's public here's what's private and uh and then the one person I true one person I truly love 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 um you know l- a- a- as a life partner and and it feels like maybe Cyrus's first really serious relationship like he had short ones I would imagine you know and saying, if you love me, show me who you are. And I said, Shauna, you you put this friction together of someone who spent years not showing who he is and not showing his full hand. It's like a gigantic professional poker player, uh, this kind of political pro. And he's being asked to reveal himself. And I said... Simultaneously, then you're asking me as an actor to reveal myself, and that's what we actors live for—to try, try to do that well. I, I said, "God bless." You know.
4: I also thought it was an, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was a great scene when you revealed that you wanted to do counseling, and James was like, "Okay, well, there's a private, there's a public part," and yeah. I thought that was—I thought that was brilliant of you too. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, gor yeah, g- gorgeous argument and felt very truthful. What am you know, Cyrus, what am I gonna say? You know, it bugs me when you do this with the coffee cups and the sheets <laughs> of this and when you rig national elections. Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna tell a counselor this. And uh I didn't have any answer for that, you notice? <laughs> yeah.
3: Now, going into Melian and Fitz now, mm. when we opened with Melian Fitz, we saw that Cyrus was trying to convince them to do this interview for the public. This is the first interview since the shooting, the first in, in, interview <laughs> interview since um, the birth of America's baby. And, you know, obviously America's waiting for that sit-down interview. You know, we all have that big sit-down interview that everybody watches, including Olivia Pope. Um, so we have this Cyrus trying to convince them. And, you know, it... it, it the conversation that Melly had with Fitz later on when she was talking about pretend and stuff is even more relevant because it's this whole scene from beginning to end when you put it all together, if you just watch just the Melly fitz interaction in this episode, it's really sad. The the way that, and I don't know, just like Fitz asked, did I really do this to you? I, I'm sorry, and he apologized. Like, Melly's the way Melly is and I don't know if she's always been like that, but the way she's become is just sad to see that she's in that state now. To the point where, yes, what some of the things she was, that she was saying was true, but in her mind, what they have isn't real. It's, I can't,
5: well, I actually go ahead, Camelia. Well, it seems like Melly thinks what they have is real, but real to her is the facade, right? Because she said. This is you know marriages are make-believe she seemed like she really believed that so with that I took away from it Okay to Melly, all of maybe all of the examples in her life, maybe her parents, maybe they put on put on the act. Maybe her grandparents put on the act. Maybe that's what she really thinks true love is. But when Fitz, when she was telling Fitz this, the first thing I thought about was when Olivia had the conversation with Edison, and she was telling Edison the type of love that she wanted, and he was saying, "Love doesn't, you know, love doesn't hurt." Olivia seems to want this complicated life and this this love that's not defined. And based on Mellie's description to Fitz, she wants to define love, too. So Edison and Melly are on the same path as far as what they expect from a relationship. And Fitz and Olivia technically are on the same path of what they desire. They want like that true burning love. I, I, that's, I mean, mm-hmm. as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, OK. I took it back to Olivia and Edison and Puddin' Pop.
3: That's what we call Edison.
4: Yes, I heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: but I guess my thing is, uh, go ahead.
1: This is a thing, though, and I, I say this again and again and again. Melly is a truthful, honest character. Like, in that moment when Cyrus is basically trying to prep them for the interview, Melly looks to Fitz for Fitz's lead, right? Melly never does that. Why is she doing that? Because from last episode, she's actually concerned about him. Now, this is where it gets tricky. Is she concerned about him purely for him on his own? No, it's as it relates to her. But theoretically, isn't that what all relationships are? Right? Technically, all relationships, by their very nature, are selfish. Now, we always think of selfish as a bad thing. Maybe it's selfish in the same point of when we look at love, we look at it that I love you so much that literally just by you being happy, that's all that I need, right? So that's that kind of that, that esoteric love that we all kind of want, right? But maybe it's just as long as you're getting what you want and I'm getting what I want and we see each other in a way that is okay with both of us, then that also is a form of love, right? Because even if you look back at the other woman, she was like, you stand by them. Like at the end of the day, without Melly, Fitz couldn't be Fitz. Because go back to how they originally met, right? And a thoroughbred, and the fact that Big Jerry came from dock workers and slept around and got drunk and did all these other things and therefore could never be president. They had to, quote unquote, clean up their family line, right? Breeding to get him to be president. Right? Because again, this entire, and I'm not gonna say the entire show, but the entire show is about Fitch choosing whether or not he wants to be president. In choosing whether or not he wants to be president, he's choosing what path he wants to go down. So, piggybacking off of what Jeff said in terms of choice, even when Cyrus is talking to James, it's all about choice. We all make choices, right, in terms of who we're going to be with. And obviously, Mellie was aware of the choice. She was aware that she was there to be bred. He was aware that he was being set up by Big Jerry, and they all entered entered into it willy-nilly. My issue has actually always been with fits that fits can't flip flop. Like Melly always says, I didn't change. You it's changed. fit to change, yeah. right? So, kind of on some levels, like how dare you now kind of bring this up and basically be like, did I do this to you? Yes, there was one aspect of it that was caring, but I'm going to go out and be the one who's hated here. There was a, a, an air of condescension. Right? Like he's he's giving too much power away from Melly. Melly makes all decisions because Melly wants to make a decision. She doesn't fall into things and all of a sudden is like, oh whoa, it's me. Don't do that. Right? And that's why when she talks to him, notice even her posture. She speaks very directly to him, even when she's somewhat being loving. Like, no, this is what married couples do. Like the, fa- the the fantasy is the reality because you love each other. That's really what she's saying.
4: Yes. And I liked how that was, she checked him. This is the second week in a row that she's checked him. And, sh- you know, that whole thing with the relationship of how the two of them came together. Mellie's last words was powerful. She was like, this is a marriage. Marriage is pretending. Even relationships, uh, uh, long-term relationships are pretend. You have to pretend that you like those in-laws when you really don't. I'm one. We we <laughs> pretend in relationships. That's just the way that it is. And she got the last word, and she really... Melly I, I gets props, because... But,
5: but it's one thing to tell Fitz something like that and to believe it to be true, but it's another when the person you're telling it to doesn't believe it to be true. So she said this whole speech to Fitz and said, This is what married people do. This is how it goes. You're doing this, blah, blah, blah. But, Fitz heard her and he understood her perspective, but he doesn't believe that's what real love is and what a marriage is. But I so d- she was talking to him, and the whole time he was hoping for the type of love that the other person that he was dating wanted as well. And
1: I
4: disagree. Can I disagree with you. Oh. I,
1: basically, <laughs> okay, because basically short version is he's obviously rethinking about Olivia and he does this every single time. Right when he's about to make a move to Olivia, he basically has like a come to you know what conversation with Melly. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And is like, aren't you tired of this? Because he wants her to say yes so that he can now do what he wants to do without feeling guilty.
4: And not only that, but listen... He had a conversation, Fitz had a conversation with Cyrus, to giving him advice about if you love, if um if you what did he say? If you love him, don't, don't um, give she up goes, Don't give goes, up. Yeah, he goes, it, but
1: you do love him, don't give up on him. If you love him, just don't give up.
4: Now why do you think he's saying that? Because Olivia.
5: Right. So again, like I said, my point <laughs> <laughs> is Melly is saying this stuff. This is what marriage is. And Fitz is like, but, yeah, I hear you. But I'm not giving up on the person that, that with the type of love that I want. Melly, gotcha. what you're talking okay, about gotcha. doesn't apply
2: okay, to
1: me. Okay,
5: I'm going to bring it back and, and, uh, to, to Cyrus for a minute.
1: And I, I don't want to know what everyone See, thinks. What including I love Jeff. about that?
2: I love about that. That's simultaneous truths. Because there's a part of Fitz going, let me go. I'm not strong enough to do it. Give me permission. Give me permission. And another side of him going, we're wired differently. We're wired differently. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that was that <laughs> yeah. was actually what I wanted. Yeah. exactly
4: what
1: I wanted because I think also to me and it's going to resonate with me f- for a while is that if we really just jump back to Cyrus and James, but to all the characters, right? When we think about love in an ideal world, what you do want is to literally bear your entire soul, your your mind, your body and your spirit to another person and have them like that person and love that person in its totality. Right. However, there is an insecurity in all of us. Right. That we try to either put a facade or our best foot forward or who we think the person wants. Right. That is one of the most painful things to put up a facade move forward, build a relationship, then get to a point where you feel secure enough to take that facade down and have the other person say, I don't like it, and put it back up. And put it back up. <laughs> no, right. And theoretically, that's what happened with Cyrus and James. That's what happened with Fitz and Olivia, right? Mm. And you can say the only person it's not happening with is Melly and Fitz. Fitz will flip-flop. Melly's not going anywhere. Now, again, I know everyone's going to jump on me and say that's not necessarily love. But whether or not he was drinking the brown water when he's drinking the doesn't matter. When he's with Olivia, not with Olivia, whatever. Melly is like, "No, <laughs> you're my husband, and you, you're my husband."
3: Well, thank, thank you, Sophia. <laughs> that was good. Um, what's Spe- up?
4: Speaking of the, the the Jesus juice, I thought it was just a great scene. How when you and Olivia was on the, the phone, phone together. You know, wine. Jeez, wine. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was a great scene when you and Olivia were on the, on the phone together and you guys were both holding the same glass and drinking the same,
3: uh, apparently, wine. I just mm-hmm. thought that was great. So let's go ahead and dive right into Miss Olivia Pope um, because <sighs> I know you guys have a lot to say about this. Um, Olivia, <laughs> Olivia was invited to... Um, or Jake called Olivia and said he was coming over. She denied and said that she couldn't do it. And there was a moment where he said he would cook for her in the kitchen that she never uses. And then she didn't catch that.
1: No, she, she did, did catch did, it. But I mean, I mean okay, she did, sorry. but <laughs> she didn't.
3: You know she what I mean? It. Yeah, she did, but she didn't. Yes, she did, but she didn't. And she, I mean, because obviously you wouldn't automatically think somebody's stalking you just for That's that. That's right, right. Um, but she she caught it, but she didn't catch it. And then later on, after she sees Fitz and Melly on the TV and their whole interaction then she gets some takeout food and she goes over to jake's place when she gets to jake's place i remember we all like rewinded he shuts her phone off after she steps out of the kitchen for a little bit he steps, shuts her phone off so you can't get any calls and then she goes to get her. Oh, that's phone. good. I
2: didn't catch it. Now, mm-hmm. was I thought that was Olivia saying goodbye no. on her no. phone. See, yeah. and I Jake. thought
5: that too, remember?
1: Jake? I thought it was
2: Olivia making a decision. No. No, 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 no. it was Jake.
5: Because Olivia turned her oh. back and was talking about, you know, dinner and yada, yada, oh. yada. And Jake goes into her purse. Oh, and he good. The phone good.
3: Off. Okay. That's the second time he touched her phone. Good. Okay.
4: Now, I've always disagreed with the fact that you guys said that Jake is creepy. But that kitchen, I've always disagreed. This is my opinion. Now, the scene in the house with them together, I felt Jake was, it reminded me of For Color Girls. You remember when the guy raped the girl because he was in the house? Mm-mm. It was very, it was, Dang, he, he, was, he <laughs> was, he was, he was very possessive. He didn't want her to drink wine. He forced her to drink beer. Like when, um, when she was getting out of bed the first time, where are you going? I'm getting some water. It was, Well, it We was, have to, we have to remember though.
3: I mean, he is, I, 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 I Here's the thing, because everything has two sides. We have to remember that now he knows, Olivia knows that Osborne is not the mole. And whoever is behind this, the black guy, I don't know his name, the black guy he's meeting. Joe Morton. Yeah, whoever is behind the, or giving him all the orders, he has to shut Olivia down and make sure that she doesn't do what she does to find out who the real mole is and everything's going to mess up. So with that being said, I still think he's creepy, but at the same time, he's doing his job.
1: And, and I'm going to interject. again, do you remember when and I can't remember the name of the episode, but when you had we had the billionaire, uh, the billionaire who was the didn't want what? the IPO, right? And mm-hmm. remember how Ab, um, Harrison and Abby are in the car, Abby fell asleep, her phone keeps ringing. He basically looks at her phone, sees that it's David and puts it back. That's the nature of who they are. And I still contend that in a weird way, if it wasn't Olivia Pope, we wouldn't think Jake is creepy. Ironically, that's what they do. Like, Jake is Huck. Like, they put surveillance on people all the time, like, in, in, in defense of whoever their client is, and until on some levels we know who the client is, we somewhat have to reserve judgment. Now, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. Mm-hmm. If the client is bad, he's creepy. <laughs> if the, no, seriously, yeah. if the client is good, he's not creepy. He's doing his job. And, and sometimes you have to do things that are outside of the rules, again, like Olivia Pope and Associates, for your client to either protect, protect them or for justice. Well,
4: take I, it predict- I'm not saying the, I'm not saying that he's creepy. I'm just saying that some of the things that he was doing, like I understand that Olivia she likes to kind of be controlled a little oh. bit in their relationships, but he went I felt like Jake went a little overboard. He was way too aggressive and it was <laughs> kind of scary.
5: I think he was creepy and I will say this. Let take it take this take scandal out of it. Put it in real life. Very basic. If you went over a guy's house, you already said earlier, you're not sure if you know that much about him or who he really is. And you get out of bed and come to your purse and see that he cut your phone off. Why are you in my purse? That's creepy. Take this. Take, take Olivia okay. out of it. Thank you. You were in my purse. You will call your homegirl and, and will say, girl, he went in my purse. He turned my phone off. He's creepy. Jake is a creep.
3: Okay, well, okay, let's just talk about this thing. Because right after that, after that whole confrontation, he distracted her with his sexual advances. And then he moved in and they had this sex scene. I'm not going to say I enjoyed it or passionate or anything. It's not a Fitz Olivia moment. It was a <laughs> it was a Jake Olivia moment. And I'll leave it at that. And they had this moment. And then um, later on... She wants to go up and get a glass of water. He doesn't let her. He says, I'll go get it. And then when she, and this I'm what I'm getting to, when she gets up later and gets the glass of water for herself and then she turns on the TV or tries to turn on the first TV and turns on the second one and then she sees herself on the TV, then she drops the glass, wakes him up and he comes in. My thing is his defense was I'm protecting you and then all of a sudden there's a guy in there who was supposedly going to attack her this is where I'm confused, because do you think he really was trying to protect her? Because she would have yes. been there anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, though. I
1: yes, I really do, because that's why also, too, he was, he was... Okay, this is where it gets tricky. When he's packing his bag, where's he going, right? Because he, he had duct tape, right? There would look like some kind of sweatshirt, and then he took his gun from the back of his pants and put the, the gun in the bag, right. right? So was he potentially going to kidnap Olivia Right. That that to me was one thought. And even if he's kidnapping her, kidnapping doesn't always mean that he's going to hurt her, but it could mean that he's protecting her.
3: I'm so confused. that, That
5: confused me. It really did. Because, like you said, he had the duffel bag so it could be played either way. But again, he the fact that he was trying to get her to stay there it could be read different ways you know I don't know I don't know I'm really confused I want to see what happens what are, your,
2: what are your thoughts well you know here's two levels of it of my Navy buddy that I go all the way back with that from the little bit we've been given about this Operation Remington that it's a logical backstory that Jake was part of that and that there's a real bond of trust between them and when Fitz can't trust anyone lately he goes he goes to Jake um and Jake on one level is really doing that job and on another level is really sincerely not not only strategically, but sincerely fall in love with her, maybe. Mm. And attracted to her. And then there's another level that only Shonda knows or is still figuring out. <laughs> uh, uh, of, of wait, who is above Jake? That Fitz knows nothing about. That none of us know anything about. Or do some of us know about it? You know,
3: that that I don't know. That I don't know. The moment where Olivia, because we saw Olivia when he pushed her down, she hit her head, she was bleeding, that took her to the hospital.
1: Just real quick, and I'm just gonna ask, and I'm not gonna talk about yeah. it here. Did anyone think when he moved her head and goes, That's who I'm protecting you from? Did anyone think that it was Fitz before they showed? I did. I did. Yeah, and
3: I wanna know on Twitter, on YouTube, on iTunes. Go ahead. That's exactly what I thought. But when she was in the hospital and Jake was telling her, This is what you have to say, blah, blah. blah. And then um, when Fitz comes in the room, the moment where I really thought Jake was creepy was when Fitz was leaning over her um, on her neck right there. And then you saw Jake give her the look from outside the door.
5: I took that as Jake finally knowing who she was talking about the whole time. Fine. Because yeah. if you if you this whole time, if Jake would have known exactly the dynamic of Fitz and Olivia's relationship, it would he would he would have approached it differently but Fitz came in all Jake knew was that he was spying on Olivia for Fitz he wasn't really sure why but he knew Fitz was a little emotional about it Fitz comes into the room and goes and comes into Olivia's body as if they had some type of relationship that was Jake's first time seeing that so as a guy I would be like oh so yeah. that's why you have me following her you're in a relationship that's who she was talking about this whole time Why? that's why you have me following her this whole set and they just the consummated their relationship yeah. right?
2: because yeah. the most literal thing that Fitz has said you know script wise was Olivia's not who she seems
4: yeah mm-hmm.
2: you know uh, 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 and Jake thought okay okay this is my oldest Navy buddy saying this okay
4: I just have one quick question. When Fitz was leaning in, I felt like Fitz was kind of leaning in for a kiss and Olivia kind of fell back a little bit. Or was it just it me? It looked
5: like she turned her head a little bit. I I, I thought that too, but I don't know. It could have... I don't know.
2: I thought he was not being um, romantic sexual. I thought he was being... This scared me. I'm scared that you're hurt. You know? Mm-hmm. You and,
1: know? and there's a... More d- hug
2: than any attempted kiss no. completely
1: thought. and I think it's it's so cyclical and I could be even wrong but I'm gonna guess that it's the same hospital that they took Fitz to when Fitz was shot yeah Right. So again, Olivia got in the bed with him when she basically was like, I need you to wake up because that at that moment, she she was literally faced with the reality of her love for him. And the same thing is coming back around for Fitz. What was so unnerving to me was, let's just put this in real time. She, for the first time, has basically let someone into her life who's new because Edison theoretically isn't new. Wasn't new, right? She then opens up with Fitz, and they had sex for the first time in two years, and Fitz basically was like, this was a mistake, and basically for the first time calls her his mistress, right? She meets someone new, even though, again, and I've said this before, she said her gut was telling her something was wrong, but she didn't listen to her gut. She then sleeps with this man, and no less than presumably 30 minutes to an hour after she's had sex with him, She finds out that he basically is watching her on multiple videos and then all of a sudden ends up in a hospital room and he's telling her some backstory that she needs to lie and tell people about. And then Fitz walks in and has to connect all these dots that, oh, my goodness, Fitz has been spying on me. This guy's been spying on me. Did Fitz tell this guy to sleep with me?
2: Yeah. And and, And I love that writing. You know, in yeah. like four seconds, yeah. you see Olivia go, they know each other. They've known each other a long time. They, he, Fitz employs him. Oh, well, uh, you know, trying to put all that together. Oh, I love that.
3: <laughs> and that's where we end it. And I, I don't know if I can wait three weeks. One thing that... I you want got to, no choice, brother. I know. <laughs> One thing I can mention briefly, though, um, just touching briefly on Molly, the other open-ended thing. Molly, the girl who was the plant, she was involved in the hit-and-run, which we now know, or we think we know, is not a hit-and-run. Right. So cool. we don't know who the mole is. Who I'll is have, I'll
1: have something to say about that on Twitter.
3: Okay. So now, we want to learn more about Mr. Jeff Perry. All right. Um, I know, Bam, you had a couple questions for him.
4: I did have a couple questions. So your career has expanded for many decades, and so you've appeared in a lot of TV iconic uh, shows. Mm -hmm. In the 80s, you were in Family Ties and and, uh, Columbo on 30-something, and then in the 90s, you were in uh, L.A. Law, Chicago Hope, and then you were a series regular on Nash Bridges. Mm -hmm. 2000, then you go Frasier, ER, West Wing, Lost, Prison Break, and then, of course, Grey's Anatomy. So my question to you is, You've made appearances on all of these TV shows for the past three, four decades. Mm. Now you are a part of Scandal, which obviously will be an iconic show, and you play such an an iconic character. So, how does that feel to be a part of something, not just from a you know a guest spot, but now you are Jeff Perry, the man who plays Cyrus, such an important uh, character in today's society, and it's gonna you know be on. It's gonna. You know this show's iconic so how does that feel to finally be a part of of a series that will go down in in uh in history such as the ones that you've appeared in i think it
2: feels good Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) no i love it you guys i love it i love it we've been in the whole the the whole little village that we are it takes about 250 of us Mm -hmm. apparently uh I haven't met even everybody in post and, and editing. I just met a few people today um, uh, uh, after all this time, uh, almost two years since we first shot mm-hmm. something. Um, and I, I, I love it, man. I, I fell in love with this whole thing when I was a very mediocre student in high school. And Gary Sinise and I are our oldest, oldest, oldest brother buddies. Mm -hmm. And we went to the same Chicago Suburban High School. And uh, uh, I was a mediocre student. Gary was, you know, an inch from, I I can't even finish this high school business. And um, this passionate, wonderful woman, Barbara June Patterson, drama teacher, turned us on. Mm-hmm. The plays and musicals.
4: And you guys started a theater group or something, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: And we started a, a theater in Chicago called Steppenwolf Theater. Um, and uh, uh, so I've, 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 loved, I've loved this pretending for a long time. Um, and I've always loved the teamwork and ensemble and communal aspect of it. Just loved it loved that way of telling a story i was drawn my my artistic heroes were not uh, uh they were in, individuals but usually it was some collaboration and some kind of communication between people that was artistically greater than what they might have done themselves. And it could be De Niro and Scorsese. It could be the I Love Lucy show. It could mm-hmm. be Monty Python. It could be any one of all sorts of generations of, of Second City or, or uh, TV or Saturday Night Live. Um, but collaborations where people kind of got on the same page, and I was the same way with sports. My dad had me growing up watching the old Casey Jones and Bill Russell Celtics, mm-hmm. you know, and I fell in love with basketball, and I fell in love with chemistry. Of, of good teams. So I've always kind of loved that. Um, to jump closer to the answer to your question. I never felt, I never thought I would feel again uh, in my um, life the level of trust, respect, challenge gorgeous sort of artistic soil and camaraderie that I had felt in my youth with John Malkovich, Gary Sinise, mm-hmm. Laurie Metcalf, John Mahoney, Tom Irwin, Joan Allen, etc., etc., all the people who are, uh, helped start our theater, which went from nine people back in 1976 to 42 members now. And I've um, just always loved that about our art. So, so I'm loving this. I'm loving this.
5: Now, out of all the characters Bam named, all of the, the, the shows that you've been on, is this role your favorite, or is it like a baby where you can't pick your favorite child? <laughs> um,
2: you know, I've had great moments in television, and I'll be forever grateful for Nash Bridges because I grew up with theater. And I grew up with wonderful contemporary theater writers. who did mostly contemporary stuff of Sh- Sam Shepard or Carol Churchill, or classic American writers uh, uh, of Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams and and uh, William Soroyan and John Steinbeck, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I felt like I got this gorgeous life and training and and uh, access. Beautiful stories, and in television, hey, Nash Bridges. I loved it. It was it was destined to be the film school uh, for me, and to be able to make a transition from theater to film, and then moments of David Kelly's writing and moments of Aaron Sorkin's writing, and wonderful little moments. But I sort of never expected the breadth. And one of the greatest writers of our generation coming into a new chapter for her, Shonda Rhimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, who knew Shonda Rhimes? We knew what she could do with Grey's Anatomy. It was, it is damn impressive. Um, but then to take on a whole new genre of political thriller and cliffhanger—you know, it's uh, uh, sort of ten years after Grey's Anatomy started. Uh, and then, to have all of the <coughs> what rhetorical skill like like gorgeous practically biblical Greek Shakespearean kind of skill in the writing, you know of uh, um, uh, 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 both relationship and event i can't think of great female examples because i 'm not well read enough, but it reminds me of of you know what mark. Twain or a Charles Dickens were capable of or in Shakespeare because they were populists and could you know could could j- make you want to sit on the edge of your seat and go what's happening next what's happening next and at the same time go to really beautiful human complicated depths and philosophical depths and Shonda's doing that on network TV and we from Six Feet Under uh, uh, um, Sopranos on I think we've been in this golden amazing age of TV that maybe nobody's seen since the you know the 50's Um, but it's much harder to do when you have to put out twice as many shows as you do on network TV and in a, a, and have to get ten times as many eyeballs to sustain the economy of that choice mm-hmm. than it is to do on cable. And so what she's doing on network TV, I think, is just remarkable. Remarkable.
3: Now, one of the things that's different about this show and then some of your other roles is that with this show it has such a large social media presence mm. and i remember we first started season 1 you know there were there were gladiators online and we definitely noticed that there was a large amount of gladiators on twitter and you weren't on Twitter before this show, right? Are you kidding, man? Oh, no, I was... Uh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, no. I, I joke with people.
2: I was still on my dial phone. So
3: <laughs> how, how has the transition been with the amount of social media that goes into the show? Because social media has played such a large part, even with getting the fans from season one to season two.
2: Yeah. You know, it's great. And I... Uh, 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 Carrie was very involved in both of Barack's campaigns, and uh, I assume... I I haven't talked to her that much about it. I assume kind of came to it in her career as well over the last few years. Um, And she was very funny. She, I think so that, so that in the very early moments we wouldn't think she was too much of a bossy pants. You know, she (laughs) said, Shonda, pretend this is your idea. Tell everybody we gotta do it. We found that out a few months later. And, um, (laughs) but it was Carrie's idea. And there was also a social media team kind of, already in place. Sean mm-hmm. had already gotten hip to it. Grey's Anatomy had started doing it a little bit. But Carrie went nuts about it and Sean went kind of nuts about it too of yes, yes, let's embrace this like crazy. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, it coincides you guys with, with uh, television history. Mm-hmm. Networks have literally seen their audiences shrink to where cable and network audiences are are, are sometimes identical mm-hmm. and once in a while cable is larger. And that direct connection to to people is like the little theaters that I grew up with. Guys, we're doing a call, talk back three times a week because we got to connect. we got to connect beyond just the story we're telling. Let's ask people how they're feeling. So uh, I, I'm digging it.
4: Speaking of asking, what do your daughters, uh, Zoe and Leah, think about their dad being a part of a trending topic on Twitter and social media? What do they think?
2: Um... Uh, oh my Leah, she loves it. <laughs> Leah loves it. Leah's 22. Mm-hmm. She loves it. And, and it was interesting. Zoe's 29, Leah's 22. And Zoe will say, man, just that little bit is a, is a generation. Or it's two generations in social media. Mm-hmm. The way I interact and the things I do are so different than what Leah does. And they are so much more adept at it and so much more used to it and use it so much more. Leah was Instagram before I'd ever heard of it, and you know all every everything, and uh, she loves it. And my Linda, my wife, who is the casting director yes. of of of, of Grace and Nat, kind of everything shondaland grayson Grace and me and Scandal and Um, she just said, Jeff, cool, 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 but it it. A, it's not so classy. Don't put too much personal stuff on there. And B, I deal with hundreds, I deal with a thousand people a week, actors and agents and this and that. I want my home to be my home. I don't want any pictures of all this. And I don't want to, you know, da, 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 da. So it's interesting, you know, everybody's boundaries and what they want. And Leah's going, wait, no, no, no. That's how people get famous, mom.
4: Well, you know, and it's it's a fun conversation. Speaking of your wife Linda, who's a three time Emmy uh, winner mm. for for some of the great casting that she's done. Mm. So she's a, you mentioned she cast for Grey's Anatomy. She also cast for Wild Thing that you were in back in ninety yeah. four. So my question is, what's the audition process like for you? Because she cast for yeah. both Grays that you were part of, and Scandal. So yeah,
2: yeah. No, we we will joke and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I say, well, that's why I'm working, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> uh, um, and, um, and and Carrie will go. You know, Jeff, Jeff, talking about sleeping with the casting director, uh, but but uh, honestly, the truth is, I kind of have to be triple right for a part mm-hmm. to even consider going in on on Linda's projects. Um, because for both of us it, it it's a dead end you know nepotism in that way show business is cool it's a meritocracy um, nepotism kind of halfway might get you in the door mm. but in our situation where where you really love your craft and it, it, it would be much too uncomfortable if Linda's trying to promote me in a way that wouldn't be appropriate um, it, it's scandal specifically. I read the script. Shonda had a kind of very standing and understandable audio, uh, and it was about the audience connection to characters of Jeff. You're recurring as Thatcher Gray. Um, this was true of all any crossover with Private Practice, Scandal, Greys. Um, that that there would that there wouldn't be that kind of crossover because it it screws with the audience's connection to the characters um so i just read the script and said linda i'm so excited for you i'm so excited for shonda this is you know shonda was 32 or so and now 41 when she writes scandal it was just it's just this maturation of an already amazing talent and i said this this is amazing i'm, I'm tremendously excited for you i had no No normal actor covetous feelings whatsoever because I just thought it's out of bounds. I'm not trying out for it. Mm -hmm. They saw about 12 guys in my age range and they were digging some people, but they weren't loving it yet. And Will Stewart, Linda's, one of Linda's partners said, Linda, I'm going to go to Shonda. Um, I know you can't, it's too weird, but I'm going to Shonda and saying, Shonda, can we break the rule a little bit? Bend it. Can let think about Jeff. Have Jeff come in here. I just, I got the gut feeling that this would really work. And Jonathan said, I'll think about it. And a day or two later, she said, get him in. Now I can't get him out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we, had a, we had a work session. And we sent it up to the head of ABC, Paul Lee, and Paul uh, from his office, I don't know if this is Paul's words or not, but it was a beautiful note, actually. They said, it's okay, it's good. Um, but less lovely professor and more Rahm Emanuel. (laughs) (laughs) Rahm, of course, was with Clinton's campaign. He was chief of staff for uh, uh, Barack's first uh, four years. Uh, He's the mayor of Chicago. He's a tough guy. And um, so I butched it up. I sped up. I got a different suit. I got a different haircut. And um, it was kind of a beautiful note. And it it seemed, seemed to work. And what you had asked earlier about what, what about this character with my actor buddies um i said wow this i've never there have been parts of this guy that i've played a little bit but that this particular alpha male and the political the seasoned political strategist first of all ignorant about politics. So you guys, I was trying to cram C-SPAN, read everything, <laughs> read this newspaper, read that, and, and trying to soak up the world, you know? Um, and, and, and just the wiring of the guy is not my personal wiring. But, it's, but that's what actors love, so I was trying to get into it. Then I'm talking to this high school teacher that I referenced not too long ago, a couple months ago, and, uh, and she, I said, Barbara June... I've been telling people I never played this part and here I'm talking to you and I'm realizing you cast me as Iago (laughs) in a high school speech contest that we worked on for about a year of a scene between Iago and Othello and I thought dang Barbara you saw it when I was 16 and it took all this time to find it again yeah it's cool
5: <laughs> Real quick, Jeff. We have uh, a lot of scandal fans online in the chat room, and they're they they're gladiators. They yeah. they're up waiting to. Oh my god! Yeah, see Come you. On. Can you just wave to them? Well, hello, you guys. You guys, you What's guys up? See that? We have there's about ninety to hundred people up. Great East coast. Overseas, oh here. Oh, my God. That's great. To watch your interview. So, guys, yeah. Jeff is here. Mwah. There you Thank go. Thank you for being
3: there. Thanks for being there. <laughs> I have a quick question because um, I do a web series called Chasing L.A., and basically it talks about your journey out here in L.A. and following your dreams. When you moved to L.A., what was it like? Was it rough for you? Yeah.
2: Yeah, because I came from kind of a hippie communal theater where... The, just, the, just the fabric of doing it together was a reason to do it and whether you're making a hundred bucks uh, uh, you know if you've got a little bit of roof over your head and you're doing these stories you love and you're doing them with your friends that's kind of all you needed and then you get a little older and you go hmm on one level it was kind of organic curiosity about things that we'd all grown up with television and film and I had a thousand heroes and heroines in television and film of directors and writers and actors, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta try that! I gotta, gotta, gotta try that!" Um, but on another level, it starts becoming an economic equation. You know, I want to get married, man. Oh, we've got a kid. Oh, oh, I gotta take care of that kid. Oh, we got another one. Oh, I gotta take care of that. And um, and I don't know if you guys grew up here, but we all know that being an Absolute non-pedestrian city, and the size of Texas—it seems like Los Angeles County—that it can be really isolating. There is no natural Chicago, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, San Antonio, New York. Da da da. da, da, da there's such natural socialization there in your daily life, mm-hmm. and, it, and therefore it's just so much easier to get together with people. And here it's can be a, it can be—it can be lonely and isolating. Um, and, and, and I, di- I didn't have to try out for stuff for 10, 12 years at the beginning of my life. So it was kind of a freakish, that's just not the normal actor route, you know? Uh, um, so to go, to feel like I had to win, uh, um, and kind of hat in hand part of, of an actor's life was at times really rough. Really rough, yeah, yeah. Um, but the love of it and the lack of any other skills <laughs> um, gets you through.
1: Do you, do you actually think, though, the fact that you have actually, in fact, been so committed to your art and that you, at the very beginning, set a foundation of... Community that it's not a coincidence that you ended up on a show that just from everything that we've heard is all about community and art yeah
2: uh, yes, <laughs> what you said, yeah, I think that's not a coincidence yeah i th- I think that's uh um, that's the good part of the universe going, you know,
4: yeah. Yeah. Will you direct again? You directed and I. You directed my so-called life. Will I directed direct? one episode yeah.
2: of my so-called life, and I discovered what a shitty director I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I love teaching, and I've always taught scene study with other actors because it's kind of like actor Jim. Um, and then, and it is. It's kind of a different. It's. It's. I've always loved the process. Mm-hmm and sitting five feet away and face the other direction and watching people work. I've always enjoyed and had pretty good facility at, uh, oh, great, great. I see what you're doing here. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. Mm. Um, That's different from steering a whole story. Uh, And... uh, um. And the steering of a story, I'll get these passionate urges, usually with very actor-centric, mm-hmm. actor-oriented pieces, over the years with theater, mm-hmm. which I've done six, seven times, um, where I go, oh, I, I have to direct that. I really want to direct that. Uh, um, but but with, with camera work, I kind of dreamed about it. I thought about it. And I thought, oh, this, this would be great. I should be able to do this. Um, And I tried again a couple of years ago, and I shadowed a veteran TV director who's directed on Scandal, Bethany Rooney, uh, on uh, Crossing Jordan, Mm -hmm. because we had a really fun experience with me as an actor and her as a director. And I was in about day six out of the 10 or so, and I was going home and trying to make charts of shots. And I said, Bethany, God bless you. Thank you for letting me do this, but I hate this. <laughs> I hate this. This is so much about the architecture of shots and so much about time management. I'm horrible at both. I'm only good at the acting coaching, and that's really a, a, actually a pretty small percentage part of what uh, television directing is
4: because of its, the speed that it needs. Speaking of speed, Scandal has a really quick pace. Mm. Is there anything you can tell us what we can look forward to in the next couple of episodes leading up to the uh, finale? I can tell you, and you can tell from the
2: previews, that there's some amazing, gorgeous delving into part of what you guys were talking about tonight of Huck and huck's past mm. and of huck's need for family a lot of stuff gets gets explored there in this in this next episode um and
4: where uh, that's all I can say. <laughs> 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 we, know, we know how strict Shonda is, but so we're very appreciative that I you know. even gave us that and information. Very respectful. I appreciate it. What about your character? Is there anything that you can tell us? Like, you know,
2: we, we, we were talking about it again today, Bellamy and I or something, uh, um, that uh, uh, television acting... I haven't done very much film, a little bit, and a lot of theater, but television acting seems to me unique and, and quite beautiful in, in, in its uniqueness in that you are in ongoing discovery of life, which is more lifelike than any other medium, where you have a finite story uh, um, that you're living in. In theater, you're repeating it over and over. In film, you kind of know the whole... You know the whole thing. Here you're in the I don't know that we're in, you know, you know, in life, and uh, and it's very it, it's 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 a thrill. It's very interesting. It's very very unique. I think in in actors'
3: lives, yeah. On set, who would you say is your most favorite person to be around? Well, you, uh, uh, Tony and Bellamy
2: and I. And Liv and I have uh, uh, the entirety of almost access to each other. And and I only get to cheer and love up Columbus and Katie, <laughs> you know, and Guillermo and Josh and everybody, you know, from... We hang out at each other's houses a bit. And we'll watch an episode together, uh, sometimes a couple days before... We'll get from from the editors uh an an episode and kind of figure out some of our tweeting <laughs> and um and mostly just because we love to hang out. I tell people this cast it's like an eleven year old girl's sleepover <laughs> we gush so damn much I mean people love each other but but uh uh so i i just i darby i i adore, i adore this group um uh, I, 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 Tony and I, I feel like in our short little two years of life, you know, that we've had time together, you know, it just feels like a brotherhood because we've spent so much time together and trying to figure out backstory and talking and loving the work and hanging out da, 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 da. So, so, you know, so we're, we're really close and I feel crazy close to, to uh, uh, Carrie because it was kind of like my one connection to the whole Olivia Pope ness, yeah, but they're all good. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. <Who's that? laughs> um, <laughs> good. Yeah. We're well, like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, tell us about tell us about the first time that you guys actually met. Because I know you guys you guys do table reads, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, were there any cast members that you knew prior to taping uh, season one? Katie
2: Lowes, I knew a little bit. She was in a summer school that some of us started at Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago.
3: Mm-hmm. Maybe
2: I don't know what—five years prior, six years prior, or something. So I knew Katie a little bit. Um, I wrote Tony a fan letter for the direction of his film uh, *A Walk on the Moon*. You know, maybe ten years prior, whatever it was.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Great movie, you guys. Great movie. Uh, um, Viggo Mortensen, Diane Lane, Leah Schreiber, etc. It's beautiful. And, um, and did I know anybody else? Did I know Bellamy, Guillermo? No, no, no. It was. Uh, I knew of Carrie a little bit because one of my oldest other Steppenwolf brothers, Terry Kinney, mm-hmm. who helped start the theater. Me and him and Gary gathered the first group. Um, Terry was in Save the Last Dance with Carrie. hmm And so I kind of knew of her from knowing that film. And, uh, but no, I didn't, am I, for, God, am I forgetting somebody who was like my oldest friend? <laughs> no, no, I didn't, I didn't really, uh, um, know anybody, but you could tell so quickly, um, there's a funny expression, uh, um, that's kind of like gallows humor, ER humor of, uh, you want to hear an actor bitch, just get my job. <laughs> um, and it was kind of the opposite here. people were uh, uh, just tremendously excited about, and and something about the confluence of i kind of love I lo, I, I, an aspect of this group that I love It reminds me of the clippers for put up with many people who hate basketball or don 't care about it at all. but I love the clippers because here 's a franchise that 's just been you know trodden upon forever, and then the last couple of years. You see a Jamal Crawford who's been around for thirteen years and you see a young stud like Blake Griffin and then you see Chris Paul who has been in New Orleans and a great player but but all these kind of all these chops coming together and finding a chemistry and being appreciated in a platform that they hadn't quite enjoyed yet. And they might be two years in the league or fourteen years in the league, you know? And um, and that's what it felt like with us, that everybody, whether it was Katie, the youngest member of our group, or me, the oldest, coming to a place in their career where everybody just kind of could naturally go, wow, this is great.
3: Yeah. Now, Bam ran down your, a portion of your acting resume. You're such an accomplished actor. There's so many people out here who are trying to make it, not even out here in New York, everywhere. What would be your advice? Because you talked earlier about the love and the passion for your craft. And even as hosts, we have our love and passion for hosting, like, different industries. What else or what advice would you give people besides just the passion and the craft to keep them moving towards that goal when it seems like it's not going to happen for them?
2: I, having grown up with an equation of um, self-determination, and that was kind of a happenstance, you guys, of, of schools, That I realized, you know, uh, um, with with just a little bit of hindsight, of wow, this sort of public high school gave us this permission through this passionate teacher to actually work on our own um, and said go. Direct a one-act play. Go do this. Cast your friends. Da, 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 da. The same thing happened in our uh, college program, in our university program, where I met John Malkovich and Laurie Metcalf, et cetera. So, little, little, uh, small state school, Illinois State University, in the cornfields, a couple hours outside of Chicago, and uh, um, that was that was that was kind of gigantic because it was you figuring out what you love. And how you like to do it and figuring out your taste and having the time for trial and error Um, so what feels like an equation of I need permission to work has to be turned into um, I'm gonna create the work Uh, I'm gonna seek out what I love I'm gonna figure out what I love And I'm going to go toward... I'm going to go toward that. And you think of a beautiful actor like... uh, um, Why am I so senile? (laughs) Who starred opposite Carrie in Django?
3: Jamie Foxx. Jamie. Jamie.
2: You know, you think of a beautiful actor like that. And such different kinds of work that you see him go through from, you know, whatever it was 12 years ago, 15 years ago, to now. And you see him just kind of keep honing in on this is who i need to be now this is who i need to be now and whether you love or hate the rocky movies or you know da, 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 uh you know i had great admiration as a kid of wow you wrote that movie so that you could be in a movie sylvester <laughs> stallone and you did a beautiful job of it not my favorite movie in the world you know da, 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 but you took it in your hands and um and I'd say try somehow to do that. Uh, movie mode on your iPhone. You know, whatever. Try to take some of it in your hands. Because self-determination is a giant thing. We look at all the artists that we respect. And um, they're doing work that truly speaks to them. So that's got to be part of a, I think, a fierce kind of passion. And another is practice. Find any way you can to practice. Any, any teacher, any group, any reading plays once a week. You know, da da da. Find a way to stay in gym. You know, to stay, just to stay in practice with 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 people you respect. Um, and and then just keep saying yes if the only reason you're saying no is because you're scared that's probably a good reason to say yes keep saying yes and keep working and work all sorts of things because you'll learn I appreciate every silly children's theater thing I did that wasn't my artistic dream you know um uh, uh, all the way to the most rarefied piece of art you know um so it's a combo platter <laughs> of how to go about it, I think.
5: Well, speaking of practice, real quick, where can people find out information about the school that you founded in on, Chicago? On, on
2: www.steppenwolf.org is the, is the 10-week Chicago um, kind of residency school. Say it one more time just so they can... So yeah, www.steppenwolf.org. Got gotcha. you. And then uh, Steppenwolf Classes West, you can Google. Tom Irwin and I, longtime Steppenwolf members, helped create that with the blessings of Steppenwolf in Chicago. And those are once-a-week studio classes. And my wife also runs casting director workshops for, for actors. And Bethany Rooney, who I mentioned, has run uh, um, on-camera technique classes. And, and uh, uh, you can find that on the web, too.
3: And what else are you working on, just to wrap it up, besides Scandal? Is there anything else coming up, or is the oh, Scandal take up uh, all your time?
2: Oh, no, uh, Tom Verica, who is a director-producer on, on Scandal, and Cullen Douglas, who is, uh, uh, he guested. You guys are Scandal freaks, so you'll love this. <laughs> um, he's had big parts in, in Grey's Anatomy and, uh, and a lot of episodic stuff, but... Uh, uh, um, uh, Colin, Colin guessed it as the little um, tape recorder guy that Olivia hired. Bobblehead. <laughs> right? Yeah, Bobblehead. Right. Yeah. Yeah, bobblehead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, Colin has written a very beautiful uh, story from a true situation uh, uh, of a screenplay. And Gary Sinise and myself and Terry Kinney and Tim Evans and Doug Bost are partners in a uh, about a five-year concern now called Steppenwolf Films. And we're trying to uh, get that up as a passion project. You know, it'll, it might probably be ultra low budget, but uh, um, I'm trying to get that going.
3: Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, but we're so, so happy that you were the first series regular from Scandal to come. We had a guest uh, star from the show come, but you're the first series regular to come. Bless us with your presence. So we're just super, super, super excited that you came in. I
2: loved listening to you guys. You <laughs> are so knowledgeable, and I love your instincts about the material,
3: and you were teaching me stuff about it. It was great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. So, we're going to go into news and gossip right now, guys.
0: After yeah. TV News.
3: So, we have some um, exciting exciting news um Tony Goldwyn and Kerry Washington were on the cover. <laughs> they were on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. And they were in our... I don't know if you guys talked about this last week. They are also on the cover of TV Guide too, as well. So make sure if you haven't picked up those copies, pick that up ASAP. Um, always support Scandal in any way you can. Um, we also want to talk about something that we talked about the first uh, episode. We have a signed DVD of Scandal First Season. And we told you it was signed by Guillermo, D- Matt, <laughs> D- Guillermo Diaz, Ker- Kerry Washington, katie lowes and now we have jeff perry on there and we are going to be giving this dvd away before i guess it will probably be the season finale we'll have to do it um we're gonna give it away on the season finale we'll tell you guys how we're going to do that giveaway but make sure you stay tuned and watch us till the end so you can win that very very special signed copy i kind of want it but <laughs> and um you know as always is gonna do Actually, the show. Right before.
5: Sorry. go ahead Oh yeah, we have a gladiator birthday oh, that no, was no, this no. week. <laughs> we got Sophia a gift. Happy
3: birthday! Thank dog.
1: you very much. I'm an April Fool's baby for everyone who doesn't know. Oh. It's very fitting. It's very fitting. Now I like continue, but you're nobody's
2: work. fool, no girl. <laughs> But
1: you will never forget it. To
2: you
3: <laughs> and many more.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'll try to keep my composure and not blush too much. Um, but, real quick, also, too, um, Fans After Buzz TV actually has a new website. It's bringing you more in depth super fan news and gossip, and there's pictures. So, actually, the um, EW cover that Emil mentioned is now, you know, it's on our site. So that's www.afterbuzztv.com. So you can go in there. You can check out pictures, pictures of us. So, we're obviously going to take a whole bunch of pictures with Jeff <laughs> we're gonna blast them everywhere but specifically on the AfterBuzz site um, and you can chat with us there as well in addition to YouTube iTunes um, and Twitter so again one of my favorite parts of the show so before I actually do our traditional shoutouts I just want to do one more time thank you Jeff Perry so special shout thanks for having me you guys. Thank you. joining us in the AfterBuzz studio especially on our one year scandal anniversary so for we're gonna do iTunes Twitter and then and YouTube shout out to all of our gladiators for commenting on iTunes for rating and subscribing on Twitter and on YouTube for all of your comments and your likes. For iTunes, we have One Hot Tamale, Bose50, DD Stoop, JJ87, Snazzy leka For Twitter, we have BB22, Bayesian Brownsey, Brian Tiff, Courts in Session, Jane Nina Shabaz, Maya Harris 01, Michelle 3035, Nerd Lady 21, Pinky Love012. R. Bova, Bo- Bova Boy, regular person, but you're a gladiator, so... I know you're a regular person, but you're really a gladiator. R. Harper 3 of 3. R. U. A. B. G. Scandal Europe. Talon Charel V. A. Nat. And for YouTube, we have Bonnie Fagan, Bragger Not, Cali Cutie Pie Forever, Charm Susan, Chocolate Cheesecake 3, I Don Matrix, Jasmine Brown, Jumping to Paradox, Lor- L'Oreal... Lorio LPLA, Lena Zick MM Fat 16, Nikali Pierce, OShea Johnson, Rachel Lee, Suzakal Pete and Tiger Eyes 01 and that is our shout outs for today for April 4th. Again gladiators, we really love and appreciate you on iTunes for rating, comment and subscribing, for Twitter for all of your comments carrying on the conversation. We technically don't have a cold piece, or do we?
5: We don't. So, real quick, Jeff, what we like to do is nominate someone as cold piece of the week. Cold piece is someone who does something that's so cold that it affects you in a way where you just can't forget about it. So mm. we usually pick a cold piece. There wasn't really a cold piece, but you, your character has been cold piece of the week a few
2: a times. A few times. <laughs> a few I bet Millie's won that a couple Melly times. Has, yeah. Yeah. This week I don't um, really have one. You
1: guys have one? I'm not sure. So if on Twitter, if you if you think there's a cold piece or maybe in honor of our scandal anniversary and the fact that our episode was dedicated to love, maybe it should be the opposite. Who do you want to see get together? Whether or not you think Jake is creepy, whether or not you want Fitz and Olivia to get back together, whether or not you want Huckleberry Quinn to just be a friendship or something more. So maybe in honor of our anniversary this week, we're not going to do a cold piece. Maybe we'll do a, a warm piece. A warm piece. <laughs> exactly. Warm so again, Gladiators, we really love and appreciate you.
3: All right, perfect. Now we're going to end the show with our predictions.
0: And now, you're after Buzz.
3: um well i think that charlie is going to have a big big because you know we talked about charlie and how he's surely popped into different episodes in this season i think he's gonna have a big role as far as um everything that's happened goes so far and then even may connect back to first season um i know a lot of people haven't confirmed in their minds whether or not billy chambers is dead i just I have a lot of things going through my mind and a lot of different theories and i'm just waiting to see it come into fruition hopefully in my favor
5: I think Cyrus has a lot more to do with this situation than we than we think, and when we talk about who 's at the top i I want to say i don 't know if i 'm reaching, but I think who whoever is at the top, Cyrus is sitting right next to that person mm. they 're like hand in hand i don 't know it was just something it was something weird i 'm going to piggyback a little bit off of what Cornelia said, and I said it last week at
1: the um the interaction between Osborne and Cyrus. Something felt uneasy. I knew Cyrus. Cyrus is Cyrus. Cyrus knows everything. But I don't really have a prediction. I actually have crumbs. I'm actually going to start again a, conspira- a conspiracy wall. Basically, I just want to connect some dots. East Sudan. CIA Director. Bad intel. Gets fired. Thorngate. Intel. Cashfar. Bad intel. CIA Director. Because of bad intel. Resigns. Gets fired. Jake. Intel Edison Intel Committee. Hmm.
5: Hmm. We'll see.
1: <laughs> Connect the dots, Cyrus. Somehow, so help me with my theory, please.
4: I I just have I have uh, two predictions. I three. I think David. He's a gladiator. I thought that was that was key when he was like, "So what are you guys? A gladiator in helmets?" You know, <laughs> David is gonna be a gladiator. He had to stick in for another week. He was still in danger. He's gonna eventually become a gladiator. Um, Huck shaved his beard. So. I think that's interesting that he was shaved because we, we, when we think of fuck we see the beard so are we going to see new changes with him since he has a, a, a shaved beard or since he doesn't have a beard anymore and then Olivia of course confronts Fitz so that should be interesting but last but not least I think you are the mole <laughs> that was very direct Silas, I think you are the mole that's it that's my prediction very direct prediction well where can we find you guys you can find me at Big6Entertainment.
1: Um, at Sophia Stanley on
5: Twitter. At Cornelia, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
4: Where can we find you, Jeff? At
2: JScandalP on Twitter. Uh, that's where.
3: <laughs> and you, yeah. can, you can find me at Emil it's Jr. And make sure you check out Chasing LA on YouTube. Guys, it was a pleasure. Once again, we can't say enough. Thank you so much for joining Thank us tonight, Thank you, guys. Jeff. Loved it. And um, we're out. We will see you guys in three freaking weeks. Three weeks, guys. But we'll make it through somehow. <laughs> Tweet us. We love you guys.